You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. And right out of the gate, I want to express my deepest, deepest, deepest desire for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your staff, the people around you to continuously remain healthy during this rather trying time of COVID-19. I know shit is really, really crazy right now, but it seems to be getting better. And no, I'm not a medical professional to be making that assumption, but looking at stats and things of that nature, talking to doctors, etc., it does seem to be getting better here in New York, and I hope near you as well. So I definitely wanted to get that off my chest, but I'm really excited to have you here nonetheless, because it goes to show that you're the type of individual that's looking to take leaps and bounds while this world is at a complete pause. In whatever area of life you are looking to take those leaps and bounds in, today we are bringing to you advice from one of the world's leaders in this area, we are joined by Laura Reese, who is a leading marketing strategist, best-selling author, and television personality. Now, in 1994, Laura joined the Reese Consulting Firm, which was founded by her father and partner, Al Reese. I'm sure you've heard of him. They've wrote books together. They're absolutely phenomenal. More about that to come. Now, Laura is a frequent marketing analyst on major news programs from the Today Show to Squawk Box. She runs the U.S. Reese office and is the Reese Global Chairman along with her father. In addition to the books she has co-authored with Al, she is the author of Visual Hammer and Battle Cry, and she is bringing all of her insights, her knowledge, her wisdom to the show today, and we're having a lot of fun with it nonetheless. We're talking Louboutins. We're talking turning your brand into a verb. We're talking about the absolute biggest, biggest, biggest mistake that you can be making, and I'm actually going to give you a little hint. It starts with looking at success and trying to copy it, so I'm not going to go too much further into that, but I am really excited to amplify her message to all of you in just a little bit, but this wouldn't be possible without our partners over at Acadium, which just so happened to be helping businesses and individuals just like you and I find remote marketing interns for our business. Now, all of us in today's day and age right now, due to COVID-19, are working remotely. There is no better time to partner up with a student that could help you level up your marketing, your branding, your positioning, so on and so forth. Everything you need from social media to web management and literally everything in between. I wouldn't be promoting them if I was not using them myself. I have used them over and over and over again, and I love the result every single time. Now, if you're interested in checking them out, all you have to do is head over to the show notes of this episode where I put a link there. Check it out. Browse around. See if it's for you. I promise you it really, really is something to check out. But without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Laura Rees. Laura, first and foremost, I need to say thank you for hopping on during this rather trying time. I am super excited to amplify your message and talk to you today. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to be here. It's good to talk and uh, connect with people, right? <laughs> We're all yeah. uh, stuck at home these days. <laughs> Seriously, seriously. This is the best form of connecting right now. But to kick off this show, I always ask the same question. It's rather loaded. So bear with me here. But I need to know, how do you personally define success? <laughs> wow, that is uh, that certainly is a loaded question. Um, success is loving what you do. Um, and, uh, and that brings happiness. Um, you know, it, it, it brings a range of, of, you know, financial success. It doesn't necessarily bring happiness. And, and, and I think happiness and success are, are very much intertwined. 
um, and uh, you know the, the money is, is secondary and it's great and it's amazing that when you're happy when you love what you do you tend to do a better job and that tends to bring you know more rewards and more money and everything else Okay, cool. So let me ask you this then. I mean, we're going to have people that are listening to this that may say, well, I don't love what I do or um, have you always loved what you've done or is it something that you've had to transition out of? Well, you know, I think um, that's a good question. Um, I've always found something in, in what I'm doing that I love. So, you know, every job isn't necessarily perfect, but sometimes you take on side projects, side things um, that feed the fuel of what you really want to do. And you see the goal at the, you know, at the end there of where you want to be, what you want to be doing. Um, you know, for me, luckily at an early age, I was always uh, driven and excited and passionate about marketing um, and positioning, right? The uh, idea pioneered by my father, who is now my partner. And so my goal was to, to do what he was doing, <laughs> um, you know, and eventually I became a partner with him and we've been together now since 1994. But it's also been a journey of, you know, how we've taken our business and how we spend our time, you know, how much of it is, you know, interviews and speeches and consulting and all of these things. And it's, uh, you know, it's always a balance of, of finding what you're good at, what brings you joy, and also what other people, you know, want from you. What was it that made you want to do what your father was doing? Like, was it at that time? I mean, you said you were influenced at an early age, and I'm going to speak from my own experience here, and I don't want to assume. I mean, early 20s, late teens for me, it was all about money. So like, did you see your dad driving up in a Ferrari or something? I was like, wow, like I want to do that. That's funny. Uh, no, but he did. Um, he did have that kind of midlife crisis and got a convertible Corvette in red <laughs> <laughs> in the eighties. I don't know if it was a crisis, but it was at a time where actually back then most families had one car, and it was a big deal. We got, you know, the se- he got the second car, so we had he had his convertible, and my uh, my mom had some sort of Volvo, I believe, at the time. But um, he was, um, you know, he. We always talked about marketing. And aver- at the time, he, he ran an advertising agency. So it's funny, you know, we had a small little TV around the dinner table and, you know, we'd have uh, MASH. I remember we watched a lot, but it was always the commercials we talked about. And so he, you know, we talked about whether a company was doing, um, you know, the, the ad was working or resonating or what they were focused on or what they should focus on or what companies should do. Um, I remember he making many trips out to talk to the head of Coors um, back in the day when, you know, Coors was considering what to do when the light beer started taking off. And uh, he very strongly tried to tell them, don't launch Coors Light, don't line extend, don't water down your brand. Um, of course, Coors at the time had, you know, just a, a cultish brand, if you will. It was only available on the West Coast. And it was actually um, by nature a light beer because of the Rockies it had. <laughs> it was lighter and fewer calories um, than the competition. So he, he wanted to, to make them focused. And it was just, you know, and, you know, hearing about stuff and, and being excited and thinking about what brands should do and how they should market, how should they should communicate uh, was always interesting to me. And so um, I also, you know, was was fortunate enough that, you know, my dad was patient enough to take the time to explain some of these things to a kid. 
um, you know, I've got kids of my own and, you know, it, it does take patience to explain to them. And when they ask a lot of questions, it sometimes can be super annoying. But, um, you know, taking the time to, to talk to the next generation about these things, to share your knowledge, as well as to, you know, hear their feedback of what's, I mean, I, I get all my knowledge about what's cool with the kids by talking to my own teenagers. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I've learned a ton about TikTok and everything else. Um, and to understand how, you know, I've got a lot of experience with marketing principles and strategy, but they've got a lot of on the ground experience about what's going on, how, you know, new generations are, are seeing things and uh, interacting with things. And so, um, you know, th- that's, a, that's a great compliment. I think uh, a big thing about the success, and just to jump around here, but of uh, the partnership of my dad and I um, working on brand strategy is that we do have different perspectives. Um, you know, obviously he's several, um, you know, decades older than I am um, and he's got experience, but I have, you know, a different experience and I'm a woman and I'm younger and I'm a different generation. And so we complement each other. And I think that's, you know, it's super important in, in any any corporation or company uh, to have that and to, to, to be able to work together and see things from different perspectives. I love that. So let me ask you, because I don't necessarily have the opportunity to do this. I don't have children, but what have you learned from your children recently? I mean, you mentioned TikTok, <laughs> et cetera. Let me get some details here. Well, you know, you know, obviously they, um, uh, they're, they're interacting with technology. I think kind of the obvious things and, you know, they're always, you know, they don't watch TV, they watch their phones and other things. Um, I, I think it's, um, you know, you, you don't learn big things from <laughs> necessarily, but you learn you learn small things and learn to appreciate that there's, you know, as an adult, as you get older, you get more stuck in your ways, um, which is why the best entrepreneurs, you know, they tend to start their companies younger because <laughs> your mind is more flexible. Um, the older you get, you know, you think you know the right way. You've had a lot of experiences. So, you know, to, to see them, to be with them, to see how, um, you know, creative and, and how their mind can bend and, you know, adopt to new ideas and being close to them um, and, you know, practicing that um, I think is very helpful as well. I thought you were going to tell me that you might have learned like a TikTok dance or something, oh. but <laughs> I love well, it. I, love I, I, it. I, I, I don't think I would admit to that, but. Um, <laughs> okay. So it might be something you're doing. Okay. <laughs> well, Laura, you kind of already beat me to my next question. I always like to try and connect the dots here, like where the interviewee is now versus where they were in high school, et cetera. But, you know, you were already alluding to the fact that you picked up on, you know, marketing positioning at such a young age. I'm just curious, like when you look back on high school, was that always your dream? Did you have a dream to become a lawyer or something of that nature? <laughs> well, that, that's, uh, again, an interesting question. And um, I, I, I do think, again, as I said, um, you know, I, I remember very fondly many, you know, take your daughter to work days where right. I would take the train into Manhattan to, um, you know, go to my dad's advertising agency. And it was just so fun and exciting. I think no matter what your job is, you know, you know, as a kid, if you can be exposed to your parents' work, your uncles, your aunts, your friends, and to be exposed to what it's really like in the workplace, not what it looks like on the office TV show or other, other media that you might be exposed to. It really is important to be able to experience, to see what you like, what's interesting, what's exciting to you. Um, and so I did have that um, that opportunity to to see the advertising agency side and and what my dad was doing and and to travel with him on on some of his big speeches to see him on stage presenting 
um, was really, really exciting. And I was like, oh, I, I would love to do that, of course. Um, and But I also was passionate uh, going back to the stage of being on stage. And so I um, was interested in acting and modeling and did that for a time and traveled into the city and on auditions. And jeez, uh, that's a tough business. Um, and maybe it was because I wasn't a great actress. That, that could be. And I wasn't tall <laughs> enough to necessarily be a model. Um, but, you know, you were, you know, you were just, um, you know, if you had... I love the attention in terms of being able to, to present and communicate and all of that. Um, but, you know, just repeating other people's lines or, you know, smiling pretty as a model, you know, didn't, wasn't as fulfilling to me as, you know, now I can get actually the best of both worlds. When I figured out that I could, you know, to, to teach people, you could still use all of that creativity, all of, all of the, you know, presenting and acting skills that, that we do and we pack into presentations and training and all of these things, uh, but, but combine it, you know, with the, with the brain side of, of being able to, to talk about business and communication um, and all of these things. So that, that eventually might kind of two worlds intertwined, um, you know, for a while I was focused just on the acting and that was exciting and passionate, but um, you know, I, I felt, I wasn't the best at that <laughs> in terms of there was a lot of better actresses and other things. But when it came to marketing and, um, you know, positioning and, and things like that, I felt like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm, I am pretty good at this. I can get a lot better at it. And, uh, you know, I can also be um, on stage and doing and on television. And I've done a lot of TV interviews and other things like that um, where, you know, you do have to, you know, be good in front of a camera or be good on a stage and be comfortable and confident and, all of these things, um, and then co combine that with the teaching. Right. I love that. I love that. So out of total curiosity, how were you able to make working with your father successful, right? Because oftentimes we, we see family members working together and then, you know, there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of turbulence. So I'm really curious, like what was in place for you two to make that a successful relationship working wise? Yeah, sure. It's, um, you know, my father always jokes that the, the most uh, often asked question he gets by, um, you know, others is, how'd you get your daughter to work with you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, and he does has gotten that a lot, you know, from his his friends or people he meets, and uh, you know, because you know there is a, a many parents would love their their kids to come in the family business. Many kids reject that, or like you said, uh, you know, many are, are in their family business, but it, it isn't always easy to do it, right? So, um, you know, you've you've got to uh, well. You both have to want to be there, right? I mean, I think first and foremost, that's the thing. Some people, I think, are forced into their family business, and you know that it's not necessarily what what they had dreamed they wanted to do. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I had an interest in it, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy either. Um, I think it's a, a back and forth of of working together and. Um, also understanding, you know, as I've been, you know, working with my dad now 25 years, you know, at the very beginning, I was, hey, listen, I was in my mid-20s. Um, I didn't know a lot. Um, I thought I knew a lot, but um, but I also, you know, was very, very um, respectful in terms of learning what I could from my father and then, you know, sharing what, you know, my ideas and, and he was patient enough to listen to them. Um, but, you know, the relationship evolved over time. And so I think both people have have to, um, you know, be able to accept that. Um, you know, I think sometimes parents aren't willing to, to see that 
their child is, is, you know, moving up and being able to step into, you know, a more senior position within the company per se. Right. Now, you pretty much alluded to a question that your father gets asked all the time. I want to know what's a question you wish more people would ask you? I mean, I know you've done plenty of TV appearances, podcasts, et cetera. So I'm really curious. Um, what? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, actually, I mean, I, I love to... Um, you know, be asked uh, <laughs> anything. I mean, I, I think I love answering questions in, in general. Um, you know, a lot of, um, you know, our consulting, it's it's funny when we work, with, especially with entrepreneurs, I was very curious about not just what we think about their company, but how we, how we think about other companies. And what would you, what would, what should, what should Uber do or what should Boeing do? What should, you know, all of these companies do and how would you, you know, our take on things, um, you know, is very special of how we see positioning and, and visual hammer and, you know, the fall of advertising, the rise of PR. I mean, many of these have been, you know, really big and transformational ideas um, and, you know, how we see those. So, I mean, that's what I enjoy doing. I don't really have any agenda of what people should ask me, um, but it's it's being able to listen to what they want to hear. Um, and, and that's a really important skill, I think, for anybody to have is to, to listen to the questions that, you know, really are of interest to them. Um, you know, even as a, you know, as a parent, you have to, you know, you have to do that with your own children to say, you know, that might not be what interests you, but if that's what they want to ask, um, take the time to listen and think about it and uh, give some answers. Right. Definitely. I definitely appreciate that. So let's transition here. Let's talk marketing, positioning, branding, et cetera. But I want to focus on early stage businesses because that's generally the community of listeners we have here. Sure. Um, where does it begin? I'm just going to throw that question out there. Where does it begin? Um, well, I mean, you know, you have to have, um, you know, generally many of the, the, the best businesses come out of, you know, frustration, right? <laughs> you know, you see, you see a problem um, or an opportunity um, that you can come in and, and fill a void. Um, you know, even you think about, um, oh, I mean, geez, um, the real opportunity in business is not the mistake people make is looking at success and trying to copy it saying, um, you know, Uber's a big success. I'm just going to do it, you know, cheaper, faster, smarter, right. Or Amazon is a success. I'll just be better than Amazon. No way. That's not the way you build a brand. That's not the way you're successful. You don't do it by, you know, copying somebody else and being better at it, even if you could be better. And many of, you know, the big, you know, companies or other brands, you know, if they are well established, but you can't beat them by being better. You've got to do it by being different. Um, so there's there's two ways. So one is, you know, you do it by being the opposite of the leader. So Red Bull, for example, you know, big, you know, multi-billion dollar business, pioneered, you know, energy drink. Um, at the time, um, you know, when you have a success like that, there were thousands, I mean, just in a one year, thousands of co competitors that entered the market, all claiming to be better than Red Bull. Uh, you know, or, were any of them a big success? No. 
not at all. You don't win by being better. And, and you know, and for, you know, what are you going to win by tasting better than Red Bull? <laughs> I mean, right, Red Bull right. tastes terrible, but <laughs> you're not going to win by tasting better than them. You got to win by being different. So the, what's the number two brand? What was the brand that was able to compete successfully against Red Bull? It's Monster. Monster right. Energy Drink was different. It was in a 16-ounce can. Is that better? I don't know, maybe not, but it was different. Um, so you do things by by being. If you wanna, if you see a category that's taking off, you don't try to be better than the leader. You try to be different. Now the other opportunity is just to be first in a new category in general. I mean, that's the you know the blue ocean, if you will, right? The the opportunity to to be first and pioneer something, and not just on the marketplace, but in the mind. I mean, listen, what what brought back the Apple Computer Company? Company. Well, we know it was, you know, Steve Jobs came back, but it took him several years till he was finally found an idea and it was called the iPod. Now, he didn't invent the iPod. There was a company in Singapore, uh, Creative, Creative, that had this. It was different because it was a hard drive music player. At the time, there was, you know, MP3 players could hold 10, you know, 12 songs. This could hold a thousand songs in your pocket. And he brilliantly, you know, again, he, he, pioneered a new category. It wasn't just an MP3 player. This was a hard drive music player, a thousand songs in your pocket. He, you know, obviously had this great visual with the, you know, the white earbuds um, and that simple, simple, simple way to communicate the difference of what the hard drive music player was. And again, it wasn't necessarily he was first in the marketplace, but he was first in the mind. And that's what counts. He built that brand. Um, obviously, that, that category took off. Um, you know, eventually, you know, that technology leading to other new categories that he got into, like the iPhone, right? The first smartphone, the, the iPad, etc. Right. All right. So that's super powerful. Let me just break this down. First yeah. question for you. When you mentioned making the big mistake of looking at, at success and trying to copy it, I totally agree. Why do you, in your opinion, why do you feel like people do that? Is it for um, potentially instant gratification of getting there quicker? Like, wh What do you feel like is the reason for people doing that? Well, they, 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 they look at a company and they say, and they, they, they say, you know, they find faults in it, and they said, "You know, I could I could do it better than them," um, thinking that it's just a you know the the business business success is based simply on process, and that people you know are making decisions simply based on process when the brand is incredibly important. Um, the fact that you go to Amazon to to buy something online without even thinking, <laughs> you know, how right. how are you going to go to a competing you know website called Buy.com? You know, or, you know, jet.com, which Amazon eventually bought. But, um, you know, the brand is incredibly important. Um, you know, just having, you know, a, a better this or a better that isn't enough. <laughs> um, and, and that's where the idea of positioning came in because it, it's not just, you know, what your brand or product or service is, it's, it's where it is in the mind. It is, is it in the mind? Um, how are you going to get it in the mind? And, you know, is there another brand in there that's already occupied that position? That, that's the idea of positioning, that you occupy, you own something in, in the mind so that when people think, gee, I need, you know, I need a car, they call an Uber. <laughs> you know, right. they, they, they want to rent a house, they call an Airbnb, um, you know, all of these types of things. So, 
you were mentioning how to be different. The first point you said was be the opposite of the leader. And then you pretty much alluded to the fact that Monster was kind of not necessarily second place, but they were able to kind of potentially dethrone Red Bull in a way by changing the size of the can. Now, I hate to use the word simple, but bear with me here. Is it as simple as just changing the size of your product to be able to compete? It can be, depending on, on, you know, the the situation and the category. Listen, we wrote a a book called The the 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. (laughs) And so, you know, you've got these these 22 immutable rules or laws, right? But, you know, it depends on how you apply them in any given situation. So, um, you know, it could be that, um, you know, this, uh, in this, in the case of monster that the size of the can, um, but you know, you have to remember it was Red Bull had that super small can that was actually an important part of their brand. I I don't think had they launched that in a traditional, you know, 12 ounce can, um, they would have had the success. There was a connotation that this was a strong, powerful stuff that you, you know, you can't drink too much when Red Bull came out. Um, and so the size of the can was incredibly important to that brand. I mean, these things matter. Um, you know, things like the, the name, um, and, and, and it could be the, the product packaging. I mean, we call it, um, you know, there, there's a, one of our books is called Visual Hammer. And so having a visual associated with your product, sometimes it is the package, like it is for Red Bull or Monster. But sometimes, you know, it can be uh, using a, a color, uh, like the, the red bottom soles of a, Lu- a Christian Louboutin shoe. I mean, does that make it a better shoe? No, but it, ma- it certainly makes it visible. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that people know what that shoe is. Um, you know, or using um, the, the visual of the founder, if you will. You have Kentucky Fried Chicken and you've got Colonel Sanders. I mean, seeing him reinforces the authenticity of the brand. And really, people crave that. Um, you know, they, they, they crave that authenticity. And listen, the opportunity for every new generation to have their own brand. Um, you know, there's, there's advantages to being the real thing. You know, Coca-Cola or KFC been around forever. But there's also advantages to being, you know, a new brand for a new generation. So, Going back to the book, and you mentioned 22 Immutable Laws of Branding. I believe that came out in 98. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That came out when I was six years old. It came out when I was six. (laughs) Uh, That book is like still a staple. Did you see that coming when you were writing this book or were you just writing it to write it? Uh, no, well, I mean, thank you very much. Um, and uh, yeah, the sort of Bible of branding, um, it is, a, um, you know, continues to be a very good seller. Um, and and mo- all of our books, I mean, Al's first book was in 1981, um, Positioning the Battle for Your Mind, and it, you know, still sells incredibly well. And so, um, and, and all of them do, or they're, they're all in, in print, which is a rarity for, for books, um, or digital, of course, obviously, most people are reading it that way. But um, we write what when we write books it's based on principles now you know we use the current examples from the you know the time period you're you're writing the book um, but we try to explain them in such a way so they're, they're reinforcing the principles so even if you read positioning now and the, the examples are old um, you know you can sort of, you can still understand the principles um, now over time some of them you know are just not as well known to the current generation but um, for sure when we wrote the 22 immutable laws of branding the idea being what these are the principles that if you need and want to know about how to brand your business um, you know these are the key things to know 
um, you know, the, the law of expansion, the, the more you expand your brand, the weaker it becomes, the law of contraction, you know, the more you focus and narrow the focus on your brand, the stronger it becomes, you know, the things like, you know, PR and, and word of mouth builds brand a- advertising maintains brands, you know, once they have been established in the mind. I mean, these are just sort of, you know, key principle ideas um, that, you know, we knew are, are true and, and likely, you know, to be continue to be true. And, and I think we've seen that happen. Right. I love that. And I'm going to make sure that the links to the books are in the show notes of this episode, by the way, just because they are super powerful. And I'm not just saying that to, to butter you up. I have no reason to. They're just really great books. So I'm going to make sure those um, links are in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, but yeah. out of total curiosity, um, when it comes to a brand becoming a verb, what do you think has to be in play? And I'll give you examples, right? Um, if you're talking about like Michael Jordan shoes, you don't say, I'm going to go pair, pick up a pair of sneakers. You would say, I'm going to get a pair of Jordans. Yeah. Or as you were alluding to with Uber, I'm going to call an Uber as opposed to I'm going to call, an, call a cab, et cetera. Sure, you're what gonna, has to happen? You're going to Google it. You're going to blow your nose exactly. with a Kleenex. You're going to make a Xerox copy. Um, you know, all of these brands have, you know, like you said, become verbs or, you know, just, um, you know, fill-ins for, for whatever that product or category is. Um, the way you do it is you're, you know, in general, you pioneer that category and you become the dominant leader in it. So that so much so that just your brand name alone stands for that category, uh, you know, Coke, <laughs> right? And right. Um, so, you know, many of these, the, 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 all of these examples come back to the fact that, you know, you, um, again, pioneered an exciting, usually new category. I mean, the, the, the excitement, I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine, and I wasn't even born, but I know the stories because my dad was there. I mean, the excitement of the very first Xerox copy machine, <laughs> you know, this, this was a revolutionary technology. I mean, much to, uh, for, you know, our generation or your generation, I mean, the idea of an Uber, <laughs> you know, calling an Uber or Googling something. Um, it was just, you couldn't do things like this before. And so the companies that really successfully um, put together um, these new categories and their brands that then, you know, not just were successful, but dominated, right? Um, the categories so much so that you just use that name instead. I love that. I love that. And I appreciate all of this insight and advice too. I always like to make sure I'm personally here taking notes as well. And I yeah, always suggest. Well, sure. And you know, what, what's a good, and you know, you mentioned that because, um, you know, many, many times it is, you know, the company that is first, right? Um, Google is an interesting example because they weren't first. There were several search engines before, you know, before Google. Um, and, you know, it was first Yahoo and GoTo and there were, there were several them, but none of them really focused on search only. They were focused on expanding into other things. Search was just a small part of what they were doing. They didn't see it as a main business. They didn't think it was big enough. Can you imagine? Didn't think right. it was big enough. Um, and and, Google, and, they, and their, their home pages were a mess. I mean, you know, even now, I mean, Yahoo's a mess. Um, and, you know, go to, and they all wanted to be Alta Vista, and they, they, they wanted to be into they wanted to be bigger. They wanted to be an umbrella of things. Um, that's not how you build a brand. Google did the opposite. I mean, it's what you should do if you're an entrepreneur and you see an idea, focus in on the tiniest thing you can carve um, and, and just kill it. <laughs> and you, that's how you start off. It, it's much the way, think about how an airplane gets off the ground. 
you, you get off the ground by 110% of power and just by focusing in on one thing. For Google, think about it, and they continue today. It's only search, and it's a clean white page. Uh, no, other, no other company, even today, you can't find the rarity of finding um, you know, a, a site that is, is so focused, if you will, on what that homepage experience is, is hard to see. And so you know, Google was just just focused on search and as a result, you know, became the best at search, <laughs> uh, dominated search. And of course, you know, we use the word Google to represent search. Right. So how much of a factor is simplicity and the opposite overcomplicating things have a play in that? Well, it has the most significant play in getting a brand off the ground. And that's where, you know, that's where as well people get confused because like I gave the plane example, you know, you got to be super focused, 100%, you know, 110% of power to get that airplane off the ground. I mean, don't make mess anything up because you make a little mess up and turn the wrong way, you know, you're going to crash that airplane. You know, getting a brand off the ground is incredibly, you know, incredibly difficult and as narrowly focused as possible. I mean, what did Facebook focus on? You know, undergraduates at Harvard University, <laughs> you know, they right. were, they were narrowly focused. And then they, you know, they went to the Ivy League uh, and then they went to college graduates. They were, they started out very narrowly focused. Um, they weren't, a, you know, the social media for everybody. Um, you know, it was a narrowly focused idea. What did Amazon do? They weren't buy anything on the internet. It was books. <laughs> Not only that, best-selling books um, at 30% off, the world's biggest bookstore. Um, you know, very narrowly focused. They didn't get to where they are. They didn't start, you know, right, um, by being as bit into everything as they are now. So to get a brand off the ground, uh, you need to that then be very narrowly focused um, in order to, not because it's so good, but that's the way you drive your idea in the mind to, to, to get attention, to make a mark. Um, now, the, what happens though, if you get success and you've got now, you know, Facebook and you've got um, Google and you've got Amazon, today, today they're flying at 30,000 feet, right? They are in the air. You throttle back, you can be at 70% power. You know, and you could do dumb things too, <laughs> um, you know, when you're at 30,000 feet. Because, you know, certainly Google has expanded to stuff and, and Facebook has as well. Although they do the best when they have second brands, right? Like YouTube and Instagram. Um, right. that, that, that's a better way to grow a business, multiple brand strategy. But, you know, at 30,000 feet, they can do that. What entrepreneurs make the mistake of thinking is they can be, they can do what Amazon is doing now or Google's doing now or Facebook's doing now. You can't. <laughs> the rules are different. They are different for an established dominant brand than they are for a startup nobody knows and nobody's heard of. Um, you've got to stick to the laws. You've got to be more narrowly focused. You've got to drive that brand into the mind. I love that. I'm loving this conversation too, by the way. I swear my hand has never been moving quicker. But <laughs> um, So talk to me about pioneering a category. I just want to go back to that real quick to make sure that I'm really drilling this down and, and literally extracting everything. Now, of course, I understand that you could be first in a new category as you were alluding to earlier, but how do you pioneer a category? Does it come down to having immense purpose or et cetera that leads to popularity and then you're able to take over that category? Well, it, 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 it comes down to, and, and we do, um, you know, we wrote a book called The Origin of Brands, which talks about, 
you know, the creation of, of new brands by um, establishing new categories and related it to, you know, what Charles Darwin saw in, in sort of evolution. And the big thing and the big idea of his was, was you know, there's evolution, sure, but there's really divergence. And that's what creates all the multiple species we had. They all started from one, you know, and he, you know, he had the visual of a tree, you know, one, you know, branch of a tree, but then it branches out and becomes multiple species, um, you know, with within, you know, apes and, and birds and all sorts of, and turtles, obviously, right? So, you know, it, you start with one and then there's there's new species that come about from divergence, from things changing within the species uh, that eventually a new, um, you know, new species will come about. And we see the same things with brands. I mean, think about computers. I mean, computers was just, a, I mean, when it, you know, started, if you will, the computer tree, we call it, you know, it was a computer. And anyway, a computer was one thing. It was a whole room, <laughs> right? It was, and it was, you know, dominated at the time, you know, by IBM and it was called, you know, a computer, but it became known as the mainframe computer. And that was, you know, the category they pioneered. But what's, you know, funny about life and, and brands and species is they don't stay the same forever. Uh, there's constant change happening and there's, you know, improvement um, and evolution of the mainframe computer. It's not the same today as it was in 1950, right? You see evolution and improvements occurring in mainframe computers, but you also see the opportunity of new categories of computers. Um, and you had mini computers and you had uh, personal computers and then you had laptop computers and then, <laughs> you know, you had tablet computers. Um, and there's all these new opportunities then um, to create a new brand for these new divergent categories off the main computer category. And, the, uh, and the, then there was also software that came out of it. And you saw companies like Microsoft dominate that. What's interesting to note is that IBM got into all of this stuff and they did right. it with the IBM name, but were they the biggest PC uh, computer? No, <laughs> uh, they, they never had success in that business. They had to sell it to a Chinese company called Lenovo. <laughs> um, and, and part of it is that one brand name on a, a mall, everything is a weak way to build a company. Um, and the other thing is that you had, you know, small entrepreneurs that dominated, you know, the new, you know, ideas of, you know, you know, personal computers and, you know, laser printers with HP and compact with laptops. And, um, you know, all of these companies come in with their brands um, that establish, you know, their their new brand um, within this tree. So you, you always see that, you, like I mentioned earlier, with energy drink. I mean, what happened in energy drink was, you know, Red Bull created the category, right? The, the tree, if you will. But over time, there was opportunities for new brands. You had Monster in the 16 ounce can, which established a, you know, a new category, if you will. Uh, but you also have three hour energy and an energy shot, right? Which did the opposite. Right. You don't want to drink a whole, you know, can of Red Bull and all those calories, the three, the, you know, the, the five hour energy shot in the tiny, tiny can. So there's always opportunities to do it by, but to do it by being different. Um, and that's, that's the big thing that, that most people miss. They, they think, well, if, if Red Bull is, is, you know, successful in an 8.3 ounce can, I better be in an 8.3 ounce can. Uh, you know, not true. Um, you know, you got to think about some way and it's not always with the size of the package. It depends on the category. <laughs> um, but, but that's one example. 
Right. I love that. Laura, I have well, to th ask you. And think about, you know, we're, out, we're on Zoom now. I mean, Zoom, you know, th they focus on the video side of it, um, you know, and, and they, they picked out one small little thing and did it really, really well at that. And that's how they built the brand. Exactly. Do you have any new book on the horizon? Like you are full of information. <laughs> like I'm so curious. Like, do you have a plan for a new book? We always have plans for for stuff, but we're um, you know we're working on uh, on and actually we it, it's come out in, in China. We have um, you know an, an office actually in, in China and work with several companies over there. But um, talking about um, you know positioning being a really was a really big idea. Um, in the 20th century and changed how a lot of companies looked at how they did their branding and advertising and PR, etc. Uh, so we have some, some new principles, so positioning um, some, some new ideas um, for the 21st century. So there, there obviously has been a lot of change to the world and you've, you've got most particularly that, you know, the rise of the internet, uh, the rise of globalism, you know, many things have happened and how does, you know, how do you then still apply these positioning principles given these dramatic changes um, within the world that we've seen? Uh, what's really interesting though is, you know, many of the core principles of positioning of owning an idea in the mind, uh, you know, remain the same, uh, remain unchanged. Um, but yet, you know, several of, um, some of the tactics have obviously changed dramatically. <laughs> um, you know, at the, at the time that positioning was written, you know, advertising was, you know, all the focus. Um, and today, you know, obviously PR is a big, um, you know, important factor. Obviously the, the internet and social media is important. And really the one thing that, that wasn't talked about in positioning is um, the, the importance of the visual. Positioning was focused primarily on, on words, uh, on what words you're going to own, but the best way to drive a word in the, into the mind is with a visual. Right. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I always ask three questions on the way out of these interviews. Um, these three are pretty personal, right? I, I would say more so along the lines of personal development. And I'm really curious to hear your responses to them based off this conversation, which again, I'm really grateful for you taking the time out of your day and being able to amplify this. So first question for you is, what is a piece of advice that you received that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, a piece of advice. Well, that's tough. Um, <laughs> well, I, I would. I want to challenge people. I mean, I think that's how we get the best information. And I like to try and ask questions that aren't being asked on every other podcast. Yeah, that no, that's station, um, et cetera. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, <sighs> Well, that was the best that I didn't listen to that I should have listened to. Is that the idea? Well, essentially that, I mean, it kind of comes down to that, or maybe you did listen and it just proved being true. And I could always give you my example, like, and it's pr pretty much a silly one, but at the end of the day, um, my parents always told me that I needed to do my homework. I needed to study. I needed to do X, Y, and Z. And being that I went to private school my entire life, I just always got pushed along until I went to college and I ended up failing out because I had a business that was booming and I wasn't doing any of the stuff I was supposed <laughs> to be doing. So um, it proved to be true over time. Uh, it didn't happen instantly but that's always the example I give. 
That's funny. Well, um, yeah, I was I was always a very dedicated student. Actually, I, funny, I, I look back in college and I think, you know, I was so, you know, just, you know, trying to get, you know, close to a, as close to a 4.0 as possible. And, um, you know, if I didn't get all A's, I'd freak out. And, you know, I, I think back, I should have had a little bit more fun in college <laughs> than, uh. I, than I did, which is not what most people say. Um, so, you know, but it does show you like what a nerdy kind of person I, I was <laughs> and uh, how focused I was. Um, but, you know, as a, um, you know, in my, in my 40s now, I mean, really the biggest thing I wish I had done that people always told me to do is just floss more. Um, so oh. if you're out there, you don't, don't, don't. I had a root canal last year and it was not fun. It wasn't necessarily because I didn't floss, but um, I, I do. <laughs> I, I am much more vigilant about flossing and, and uh, d- dental. <laughs> I, I love that. That I is so, so, so yeah, I mean, but you, you do have, um, you know, that, that invincibility. Um, and, and I do think I, I, I see that and I learn and, and, um, you know, need to be reminded that, um, in my children to have that just wonder of anything is possible. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that you, you does kind of erode over time that you start to, to be too realistic about things. Um, right. and, you know, children, um, you know, young adults, you know, entrepreneurs, um, you know, that sense of, you know, it's not out there, but I can make it happen. Um, you know, it, it, that's really that, that's what a new brand is all about, right? Um, that it's, it's not out there, but I'm going to make it happen. There is no such thing as Facebook or Uber or Twitter or, but I'm going to make it happen. Nobody's doing it, but I think this is such a good idea. And if I put it together, I think people are going to change their mind. Um, and, and it's funny because, um, you know, many companies, and, and this is what gets big companies in trouble and why new ideas almost never come out of big companies is because they don't like new ideas. They don't like that, you know, to be, go out and do something that's not already being done. And before they do anything, they research it to death. Um, before, you know, Red Bull was, um, you know, a product out of Thailand, Creatine Dow, and it was a Austrian entrepreneur that said, let me, you know, let me, let's work together, partnership. I'll promote it to the world. I'll give it, you know, a, a global name and promote it as a global brand uh, for starting in Austria and Germany uh, and call it Red Bull. And so, you know, before, like any, you know, respectable person, you say, oh, let me do some research. Let me test that I've got everything right. And the name and the product and the taste and the price. And so he did. He did the research. And you know what the research said about Red Bull? It was, it was terrible. Research really? said it was going to be the world's biggest failure. It tasted terrible. It was way too expensive. The can was too small. The research said it was just a total failure. Um, and you know what he did? He did it anyway. He said, and, and it's true, a new crazy idea like that, you know, Tesla or, you know, they, you, people reject it off the bat. Right. Um, that's not the way we do things. That's not the kind of taste I like. That's not the kind of can I buy. That's not the price. I mean, I lived in New York before Starbucks showed up. People, the article said, no New Yorker is going to pay more than 50 cents for a cup of coffee. That is ridiculous. Well, guess what? They're on every corner and we're all paying four bucks. <laughs> 
<laughs> for a cup of coffee. Why? Because it was it was better, right? It was a European style coffee house, right? Um, you know, it wasn't that they just charged more. They they gave a reason. They hadn't had an experience. They had an authenticity. I mean, and they were the first to do it. So they are perceived as the real thing. Um, and, and that is, you know, the that's what's exciting about marketing is that it is always changing. It is, you know, it, it's changing in the sense that um, there's always opportunities for new brands. Um, there's always opportunities for the next thing to come out and as well as preserving, you know, the success of brands, you know, like Starbucks that is, you know, now well established and, you know, trying to protect and maintain its dominance within its category, as well as looking for opportunities per se, perhaps to launch second brands which not a lot of big companies do. So, you know, coming back to what the question was, which is um, having the ability to, to have the sense and, and to see the opportunity to be able to take the risk to go out and, and be first and have initially people say and laugh at you maybe to say, no one's going to do that. <laughs> right. Uh, no one's going to launch, a, 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 you know, everyone had, you know, the internet, you could have as, as long a blog as you want. Twitter said, no, we're going to limit you to 140 characters. Um, we're going to limit you. Um, you know, the, the idea many times the best brands are done by saying no, <laughs> you know, no more than 140 characters. Um, you know, no can be a powerful word. It definitely can. It most definitely can. And I think you might have beat me to my last question. I was going to ask you if you could only give one piece of advice for the rest of your life, meaning if you wrote another book, it could only be one thing. If you were on stage, it could only be that one thing. If you were on a podcast, it could only be that one thing. I think I know the answer, which maybe anything is possible. But if it's not, I would love to hear your take on that. Absolutely. And, um, that is um, that. This, I think, is a, is a very important question because you have to to be able to, <laughs> in a way, edit yourself, right? To say, you know, if you could only say one thing, if you have to have a mantra, you look in the mirror every day and <laughs> remind yourself of what the true key to success. What is the one thing underlying all the others that if if you stay you know, true to, you're going to be successful. And that's whether you're building a, a product, a service, or even your own personal brand. There's one word you need to remember. Focus. Love that. Focus. The idea of building a brand comes down to focus. 140 characters, right? Um, you know, focusing on something, being in an energy drink. Or, you know, one of the greatest, um, you know, companies ever built, um, you know, Dell Computers. How did they do it? They focused on direct. Other computers were selling all types of ways. Dell did it one way, direct. Direct to companies. And it was because they did it direct, you could personalize your computer. Um, you know, they lost focus of that. <laughs> and they right. got into selling to consumers. It was only to business, too. It was a business to business. They got into consumers. They got into, dude, you got a Dell. They got into selling in, uh, you know, retail. And they got into trouble. 
um, and it undermines their focus. Um, the strength of their brand was not because people thought they were a cool company. It was because they were focused. Um, and that helped them build the brand. It helped them build the business. It helped their business get better. It helped them be more efficient, right? And, and even as a personal brand, if you, what's your focus? Are you good at everything? Um, you might, maybe you are, and, and, but if you say you are, no one's going to believe you. No one's going to believe you. If you say right. you're focused on something um, that you spend a lot of your time on and you've gotten better, right? It's the you know 5,000 hours theory, right? You're going to get better <laughs> if you focus, one. Um, and if you find and focus on something that you're truly passionate about, I mean, that's even better. Sometimes it takes a while um, and, and that's okay. Um, but the, the under, learning from the experiences so that, that you can um, see and appreciate um, and and, and know, um, you know, what is going to be successful and live and learn. I mean, many times, you know, you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. And that's why we talk about in the books, you know, you do learn from reading about, you know, companies' failures of what, what opportunities were missed um, and, and seeing where they went wrong versus where they could have, um, you know, done better had they remained focused um, is, a, is an important lesson. So, yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of this podcast and, and and everything else. I mean, think about what what are you focused on? Um, and if you're building a brand or working on yourself, you know what is what is the focus? Can I and can I focus more? <laughs> um, right. You know, am I focused enough? I mean, because you know, obviously, you can say I'm going to build an online store to sell everything. Well. That's not a focus. <laughs> How about a, an online bookstore focused on best-selling books at 30% off? Now that's a focus. It most definitely is. That's a huge question. What are you focused on? I'm going to make sure that we are definitely conveying that a few times throughout the promotion of this. But Laura, I just want to say thank you again for hopping on here. As mentioned earlier, I'm going to make sure that the link to all the books are in the show notes, your social handles, websites, all that good stuff. And if you have anything else going on, let us know now. Maybe something I don't know about that you want to share or promote. This is the time. Yeah, no, we're we're all just trying to uh, you know get out of this quarantine situation. But uh, yeah, we're always uh, out there, and hopefully, I'll be out on stage soon at some big, <laughs> big conventions and meetings again, and speaking in front of thousands about these ideas and principles and how you know people can build um, the the new the new best brands out there to dominate new categories by, of course, by focusing. I love it, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for hopping on here. Thanks so much. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, directly from Laura Reese herself. Now, I'm going to ask you to make sure you're connecting with Laura. All of her links are in the show notes of this episode from her website to where you can get her books, social media, etc. So make sure that you are reaching out to her. Let her know that you heard her here on Decoding Success. And total side note, like pick up the books. They are absolutely phenomenal. I'm not just saying that because Laura was just on the show, but seriously, I've read many of them and they are absolutely monumental, which is exactly why they're timeless. They are absolutely timeless. So I want to make sure and urge you to put them on your radar at minimum. So I need to break down three points that stood out to me the most as we do with every episode. The first one being that you cannot look at success and try to copy it. It is okay 
and I'm saying okay to try to adapt and maybe nitpick a habit or two or a tactic or two and implement it in your way for your business, for your life, for your routine, etc. But to drastically copy, and what I mean by that is like mimic from A to Z, it will just never work the same way for you. We're all different. And that brings me to the second point that I really want to hit on here. Laura talked about be different. That is exactly how you can be successful. Branding is the art of differentiation. We've talked about this time and time again. So you need to understand that we are all different. You know, the most famous doctor has said that there is no one in the world you were than you. That goes for your business as well. By the way, his name is Dr. Seuss. If, if you haven't heard me say that yet, you haven't listened to enough episodes. I dropped that rather often because I absolutely love that. But thirdly, focus. Focus is so huge because, I mean, I'm guilty of this myself. I have a million and one projects going on. I'm donating to the frontline workers here in New York City. I'm running a podcast, I'm helping out at different types of ventures. I have my own branding agency. The list goes on. So I have a million and one things and it's always a good reminder to understand that you should be focusing, you should be drilling down in every single one of your endeavors and maybe you should only be focusing on one or two endeavors. Specifically, probably just one to be honest. But I just wanted to throw that out there because it's a piece of advice that when I hear it, I'm just like, damn, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're right. And we can get caught up because we feel like we could do a million and one things. I know I'm not the only one that's guilty of this. I have a million and one friends that do the same exact thing. So I just wanted to pose that suggestion on you to maybe dive into your life and see what you need to focus more on. So again, those three points. Number one, looking at success and trying to copy it. That's a major, major mistake. You can nitpick habits, tactics, etc., from individuals that are deemed successful and you're right, but make sure that you're applying it to your life in ways that is different, right? And that brings me to the second point, which was be different. Be different in all that you do. Own who you are. Know that there is no one in the world you are than you. And seriously, own that. That's huge. Lastly, focus. Make sure you are focusing. That is monumental. So with that said, if this episode rang bells for you, if it had great points, I'm urging you to share this with the people in your circle. We're all quarantined right now. People are looking for shit to do. Let this be something that is good and shine a light to give someone the light give someone the light this is the light give them the light and make sure you're leaving a rating review if you haven't yet specifically if you're tuned in from apple itunes however you want to frame it that means the world to us and i really 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 appreciate it but until next time everyone stay safe stay healthy be blessed peace